It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, we are a couple of weeks removed from the horrors that took place in Israel with this horrific Hamas attack against innocent civilians, including taking hundreds of people hostage. Some A little bit of good news yesterday, at least, with uh, two more hostages released. But the rumor is that a ground invasion of Gaza is imminent Does having hostages on the ground complicate matters? Additionally, we're seeing a number of protests, not just around the world, but right here in the United States and in New York City that seem to show a lot of opposition for Israel and even some people going so far as to say that uh, they not only support the Palestinians, that they blame Israel for the actions of Hamas. How does all of this complicate the narrative that the Israeli government, the American government and others have been putting out there? Somebody that has uh, a thing or two to add about this and a great deal of expertise and experience on this front is Itai Milner, a spokesman for the Israeli consulate. Itai, I know how busy you are. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm willing to answer uh, all of your questions. So let's begin with uh, the latest on the hostages. I mentioned there were two more people released yesterday. Thank goodness, uh, two elderly women. Who seems to be handling the negotiations on getting these folks back? Uh, Is this, uh, I know the Red Cross seemed to be involved in this latest round. Uh, Qatar was claiming some credit for the previous two hostages being released. Who's handling these hostage negotiations at this point, to the best of your understanding? Okay, so uh, there are a few different actors here. Um, first of all, there is um, the Israeli government that has um, a special envoy for negotiation of this uh, hostages uh, situation. His name is uh, Gal Hirsch. Um, he, he's the one who's negotiating, um, and, but the negotiation is not uh, directly with Hamas. Israel does not negotiate uh, with Hamas. So um, the Egyptians are involved and uh, so are the um, Qataris who are involved usually with the Americas, with with the U.S. in the middle. So there are a lot of different actors here. Uh, There's also a lot of different nationalities that are um, that are held uh, as hostages. Uh, not just Americans, there's also uh, uh, 12 other nationalities. Uh, so those countries are also involved in, uh, in, in some, to some extent. So there are a lot of different actors. And above all of it, you know, there is the uh, delicate situation, as you just uh, described, in which that there is an ongoing conflict. While there are negotiations, uh, Hamas is uh, shooting rockets, 7,000 since the beginning in October 7th. And, um, and also the, the IDF is uh, attacking um, the, the terrorist uh, infrastructures in Gaza and, and preparing for, uh, for a larger ground operation that should start any day now. The release of these hostages, the two that were released on Monday, the two others that were released on uh, on Friday, 
Is that, in your view, an attempt to buy some goodwill on the part of Hamas? Is that an attempt to kind of slow down the ground invasion into Gaza? Why do you think Hamas is releasing these hostages? Uh, Hamas is uh, is a very cynical organization. Uh, we all know after uh, we knew it before, but now the whole world sees it that that uh, they are no better than ISIS. And anything that they do, they they don't do anything out of goodwill. They do it uh, because uh, they have uh, it goes well with their tactics and 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 strategy. If Hamas had any grade of goodwill. Not to mention that he wouldn't do it in the first place, but there's no reason for them to hold uh, so many kids and so many elderly people and and so many women and 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 civilians um, at this point. If if it's goodwill, obviously there's more than that. And the reason why they are doing it little by little, you know, so far for uh, civilians were released, and we are very very happy for each one. That is released. Uh, but the reason why they do it that way is because they're trying to uh, use them as pawns, as cards in uh, for their tactic of, of, of battling Israel and, and uh, operation. Understood. So it is an attempt to kind of slow down what uh, what Israel might be doing in response. So let me ask you about that. Not just slow down, not just slow down, also to gather a, at least to to try to to be in the middle between Israel and the uh, support that it's getting from, from other nations. So how does that, meaning the hostage situation, complicate the plans for a ground war, if at all? What's being considered differently because of the ongoing hostage crisis than would have been the case had it not been for these hostages? So definitely that makes things uh, very uh, difficult and we are not taking uh, this uh, lightly. Not just because of the hostages, also because we know that a ground operation will lead to more casualties from the Israeli side. Um, the Gaza Strip is full of uh, ID and booby traps and, and, and tunnels. Uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, but certainly uh, the fact that there are more than 200 hostages makes it much more challenging. Now, you got to remember that Israel has two objectives. Um, the first objective is to eliminate Hamas or at least eradicate any ability uh, of them threatening Israel or having a will to threaten Israel. The second objective is to bring, the, bring back all of the hostages. Um, between those two objectives, um, one influenced the other. If we only wanted uh, to eliminate Hamas, uh, obviously we could have done much more and we you, you would have seen it already. If we only uh, had uh, the hostages in our mind, probably we wouldn't expand this operation. Uh, but when you have both of those objectives and both of them are equally important and both of them are things that we cannot live with, you know, we cannot live with Hamas uh, as an ISIS entity right on our uh, doorstep and, and even inside our uh, home. And we also cannot live with the situation that more than 200 uh, uh, civilians and, 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 and soldiers are being held there. So, so both of those objectives would be, we will try to, to, to do both of them. You know, we'll see how, 
how it will work. I'm, you know, I'm glad that I'm not uh, heading the military right now because this is very difficult. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Itai Milner. He's a spokesperson for the Israeli consulate. Itai, one of the things that we've seen in the pro-Palestinian corners of the world is the fact that uh, the operation to get Hamas, it uh, does result in some civilian deaths. And uh, Hamas is claiming, who knows what's accurate, but Hamas is claiming that uh, there have been 5,000 Palestinians killed since this war began, although they also claim that Israel was responsible for the destruction of a hospital. We're also seeing some of the rockets being fired uh, adjacent to mosques, schools, uh, civilian sites that they're kind of using as a base of operations for military activity. Uh, My question is, both for the concern of the civilians themselves, but also for the concern of not allowing Hamas to use civilian deaths as a recruiting tool and to foment anti-Israeli sentiment around the world, how much is the protection of Palestinian civilians a consideration for the Israeli government? So... Even if we take the hostages situation aside, talking about a conflict between Israel and Hamas, and we had a bunch of those over the last uh, decade uh, without hostages, uh, we had a bunch of those uh, conflicts. And um, Israel always take very, very seriously the protection of uh, civilians' lives. The Gaza Strip is small, uh, but very, very uh, densely populated. It has uh, 2 million inhabitants. On top of that, the fact that... that uh, Civilians are living right next to uh, to military uh, bases and, and terrorist uh, tunnels. Um, Hamas is also actively uh, involved in them and using them as human shields. Israel has many measures. The IDF has many measures to um, to avoid collateral damage, starting from uh, dropping uh, leaflets, telling uh, civilians to uh, move from a certain area, which we did. Going through calling them, calling people uh, who live in a certain house that uh, the IDF is going to bomb and telling them to leave. You know, we take in mind that the terrorists would leave as well, but we prefer to spare the life of a terrorist to save life of, uh, of, of innocents. And even after that, we're doing that, um, the last measure is that sometimes we also, not sometimes, always, we also shoot on those certain uh, facilities a blank um, missile or, or, or some kind of um, military equipment that, that only makes noise and, and alerts the people that a more serious a bomb is coming on their way. So we do all of those things and we uh, make sure that uh, humanitarian aid is entering Gaza. So um, we really do more than I think any other army in the world, especially given the fact that from their side, they're doing everything that they can to uh, hurt civilians in our side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I I thought was very interesting, and I don't know that it got quite enough attention in the international news media, is a, a stunning disparity between what's happening in the Israeli government and what's happening in the United States government. In our Congress, they're not even able to pick a Speaker of the House. It used to be that Democrats and Republicans would fight and not be able to get anything done. Now it's the Republicans that are fighting among themselves and they 
can't even choose a leader. That stands in stark contrast with how the Israelis have sort of come together in the aftermath of this crisis and formed a new unity war government where you have Netanyahu's coalition and historically opposition parties uniting in one government. How is that working out, Itai? And uh, is there any chance that this could change Israeli politics in the long term? So without going into uh, really Israeli politics, because I'm uh, I'm a diplomat, sure. I'll um, I'll tell you that uh, Israel just uh, the Israeli public experienced uh, one of the most uh, divisive eras um, in our history. Uh, not just uh, this last year that was terrible, but also the whole last four years with five elections and uh, those uh, reforms and the protest against the reforms the judicial reforms, and uh, really we got to a point that uh, on the last Friday, you know, the tax war on, on Saturday, the last Friday, the biggest news in Israel was that um, whether it's possible to have separation in praying in, in public, you know, people were fighting even on Yom Kippur on, on those things. You know, families were not speaking to other members of the family. But then this horrible thing happened, and people just remembered why are we there? You know, what is the real meaning of having uh, a state and what are the threats and what are the issues that really important in life? And, um, you know, luckily, um, people understand that we need to get together, not just the government, but also, you know, in society. You see a huge wave of volunteering and involvement over the last uh, two weeks at the consulate. We were busy uh, chartering flights for 3,000 reservists to flew to Israel. And nobody asked if they're right wing or left wing. You know, everybody's mm. just doing it together. And, you know, I'm working at the consulate for a while, just a month ago, a month, not, not a long time ago. We had the prime minister visit here. And during his visit, there were protests all around town. All of these, a lot of the Israelis in town were protesting against him. Now, all of those organizations who protest against the government, they're now working together with the government on relief and sending aid and all of those things. So we really come together. I don't uh, wish for anyone to have a disaster like that to unify. You know, I don't think that the U.S. needs something like that. But I do think that uh, it's a it's a stark reminder of when you know it's too much divisiveness and you need to unite. And you know what? I see that now Democrats and Republicans united together with uh, supporting Israel. Mm. We had a bipartisan senator delegation right now in Israel. So maybe um, Israel is the start. Yeah, maybe Israel can uh, rub off on the United States a little bit with that spirit of uh, of nonpartisanship in times of crisis. Talking with Itai Milner, spokesman for the Israeli consulate. I know it's like you've already been generous with your time. A couple of more questions while I have you. Sure, sure. Um, one of the things that was reported, and I, I have no idea if it was if it's true, but I want to ask you about it, is that there have been some limits on demonstrations. In fact, it was described in some of the Arab press as a sweeping ban on demonstrations against what Israel is doing in Gaza and that uh, police were uh, issuing arrests following protests and in places like Haifa, for instance, and in at least one Palestinian town over the last few days, they've arrest- arrested at least 17 people who were who were uh, participating in these protests. It was also it was also reported that at least one um, the far left 
left wing member of the Knesset was actually uh, suspended. Uh, This has a lot of Americans reminded of September 11th and its aftermath when the United States went what I think a lot of people now view as too far in terms of surveillance of warrantless wiretapping and uh, things of that nature. One, are those limits on demonstrations accurate, what's being reported? And two, what would be the rationale behind suspending a member of the Knesset at this time? First of all, um, allow me to uh, just point out uh, that it's it's a little bit uh, even funny that um, it's been reported in Arab media that Israel has a limitation on on, uh, free speech and and, uh, rallies. I don't know when was a legal protest in in one of those countries uh, but let's put that let's put that aside i didn't hear about it uh not to say that uh, maybe it didn't happen i just don't think it's substantial israelis are very 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 much united now on the notion that hamas needs to be eradicated and and there has to be a military operation and not just uh, jews um the arab citizens of israel at the very least um they're not objecting it you know or you, they're not publicly objecting it. It's very much uh, clear to everyone that uh, Israel cannot uh, not do anything about it. So even if there was uh, some protests that were organized, and it's hard for me to believe that uh, there were limitations of it, maybe, I don't know. They were very, very small and not substantial. And in any way, Israelis uh, will protest, you know, even if, you know, I don't know what would be, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that uh, it wouldn't take long for uh, Israelis, Jews and Arabs and whoever to protest about something. <laughs> and um, and nobody's going to leave with them. Itai, I know you're a diplomat, one of the, the best around, and there have been so many incidents over the last few decades where it seemed like diplomacy was leading everybody to be pretty optimistic about the peace process. A few years ago, uh, the whole world paid attention to the Abraham Accords, where you saw several countries that uh, never would have been thought to be friends of Israel having diplomatic recognition of Israel. Uh, go back a few more years you had uh, obviously the uh, the Oslo Accords with uh, Pr- President uh, Clinton presiding over a handshake between Prime Minister Rabin and uh, Yasser Arafat. Go back a few more years, talk about the uh, your great accomplishments with the Camp David Accords. My question for you is, where does this latest Hamas attack and the related war that uh, has resulted from it, where does this leave the peace process going forward? I-, I would think it's a tremendous step backwards to there ever being an independent Palestinian state. Do you view it differently? So I think we need to separate two things here. The first one is the peace between Israel and, and Arab uh, countries um, in the Gulf and in other places, uh, which is uh, similar to the Abraham Accords. And the second one is the negotiation with the Palestinians, which is not, were not really active for the last uh, decade for numerous reasons, mainly from because of the Palestinians uh, rejecting it and, and the fact that the Hamas is ruling us. Just, uh, you probably remember that just uh, a month ago, uh, the biggest news about Israel was the warming up of uh, relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia and the talks about signing a normalization or peace treaty. It's not a coincidence that this attack on Israel happened uh, when it happened. The the biggest losers from normalization between Israel and the Arab world are um, the Palestinians, but more than that, 
Iran. And now, um, you don't have to be a, a Middle East expert to understand that that um, both of those actors, Iran and, and Hamas, would do everything they can to prevent from this happening. And they know that getting Israel into a war, a war that will have, you know, the Arab world will see images, yeah, the Arab world see his news different than what we see. It will make it harder for those countries, for, for those countries to be in peace in Israel. Uh, so that's one thing. So I'm not sure that it will affect in the long run. I hope it won't, because I think uh, at least the leadership of those countries understand who are the Palestinians, uh, Hamas, and, and why are they doing what they do. And the second uh, are the Palestinians themselves. There's no doubt that Israel before uh, October 7 is, will never be the same as Israel after October 7. Uh, a lot of people say, uh, a lot of people who were big uh, uh, peace uh, supporters are saying now, if that's what they can do to us, you know, if they can break into our home and, and, and kill babies and rape women and, and, and burn uh, whole families alive and shoot them in a, in a, in a pit, how could we ever have a peace with them? You know, right. those are those are obviously people who who want to uh, eliminate us. Like, by the way, like they say for many many years. But I believe that uh, time will uh, will pass, and you know, at the end of the day, there are two nations living side by side, and and there will have to be some kind of of uh, a solution because uh, this is not sustainable. Not. Uh, even if we eradicate Hamas, I don't know what will come next, and 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 there are two million Palestinians there. Uh, so it's hard to say right now, and and there's no doubt that there will be um, deep movement in the Israeli uh, society and 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 also the Palestinians. Uh, but it's too early to say. Uh, how would you would you say that the rank and file people of Israel and the Israeli government specifically? are pleased with the level of support that they're getting from President Biden and the U.S. government? Uh, is there more that they're looking for? If so, uh, what areas do you think the U.S. response is lacking, if any? Israel is highly, highly, highly appreciate, uh, appreciative of what the, the U.S. Uh, are doing and what the Biden administration is doing. Uh, President Biden is uh, one of the most pro-Israeli speech. Yeah, only was only top, uh, topped by his next speech in Israel, and then the, the speech when he came back to the States. He's saying things that uh, we never heard uh, from an American president, and uh, although we were in great relations with all presidents, uh, but those are not just uh, words. There are also actions. It's not just the president. It's also the Congress, and it's not just the Democrats. It's also Republicans. It's a real bipartisan, overwhelming support. Um, so Israelis are very appreciative of this, and uh, we feel that uh, alliance between Israel and the U.S. Uh, had never been stronger, and exactly when we need it. Uh, having two uh, aircraft carriers uh, around our region is really a boost of confidence um, that we are not alone in here in this and um and i think um overall israelis are very uh, content with what the u.s is doing uh, last question i know that uh, israel's foreign minister eli cohen is uh, visiting new york and uh, i'm just wondering message is going to be to his diplomatic counterparts in other countries what what message is israel communicating to the world right now so uh, Minister Ali Cohen is arriving tomorrow and he's coming um, mainly for the, for, for the UN Security Council. There is a session tomorrow uh, led by the U.S. 
and Minister Cohen is actually coming together with families of the hostages, some of them um, families of the U.S. citizen hostages. So he planned to uh, present the evidence of what happened in October 7 and to let the, the families of the hostages speak. And, uh, you know, in the U.S., we have support and understanding, but the U.N. is a whole different place. At the U.N., the Security Council, you have uh, countries that are not so supportive, to say the least. And I think it's important to really uh, bring those voices and, and see how cynical they can be when they listen to their families themselves. Mm. No, it's certainly going to be a powerful message. Itai Milner, I want to thank you for the time this morning. I hope we can chat again soon, hopefully under better circumstances. Uh, my thanks to you for joining me, and uh, please uh, convey our whole audience's well wishes to uh, the people of Israel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Itai Milner, spokesman for the Israeli consulate. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.